Welcome to the Big Presentations Podcast, where we offer encouragement and guidance to those who make big presentations in small rooms. We believe that properly focused practice and preparation result in effective communications. I'm your host, Paul Gibson. Let's get started. Today, we are talking about presentation perfection and why it's overrated. And we hope that you'll stick around because who knows, maybe you'll just discover that your presentation is perfect by not being perfect. But we'll get into that. Right now, let's jump into the core content. Presentation perfection is overrated. That's difficult for me to embrace, but I believe it to be true. Think about things that are easy to tune out. If something is perfectly symmetrical and perfectly predictable and the patterns continue in the same up and down, you know what's coming next because it's going to... You're already checking out on me, aren't you? Because it is overly predictable. So let's think a little differently about imperfections. So we don't want to use this as a cop-out. I don't need to practice. I don't need to have my thoughts together. I could just make it up as I go. And if I need space to think, I can do whatever. I can use a verbal pause. I could just say, um, while I try to figure out what's coming next. No, that's, that's not what we're after here. What we're after here is, well, really it's effectiveness. What is going to best connect the audience to the message? Perfection might not be it. So let's think about imperfections. First of all, imperfections can be branded. Think about some of your favorite speakers. There's probably certain things that they do that would be considered imperfections, but are a part of who they are. It's a part of how they talk. But those things allow their personality to come through and allow their message to be more authentic. It's not overly slick. You don't feel like you're receiving a message from a robot. You know you're dealing with a real person. And when that imperfection is strongly connected to a specific person, that becomes a part of their personal brand. Now, we have to be careful with this because you want it to be something that is allowing the person to get to know you, allowing the audience to get to know you, imperfections and all, and not something that is a big distraction from your message. Realize that imperfections can be branded. But also keep in mind the idea of effectiveness. So imperfections can be branded, but that only works well if those imperfections still allow for your message to be effective, still allow for you to know your audience, know your message, and make the connection. So if your imperfection is something that pulls people's attention away from what you're saying, then it would be worth dealing with. If, however, that imperfection is something that allows people to engage with you even more, Well, that would be worth keeping. So pay attention to the types of imperfections that are in presentations that you really enjoy. You could even go back and look at legendary speeches. What are the imperfections within those speeches? You could think about your favorite presenters. What quirks or ticks do they have? 
that become a part of their personality, a part of their brand. And then think about your own presentation. What are things that you can do that allow people to connect with you while not distracting them from the message? So remember, presentation perfection can be overrated in terms of never having verbal pauses, uh, never having any kind of quirk or tick in the presentation. It's all about effectiveness. So as you deliver big presentations in small rooms, think about what will be most effective in connecting the audience to the message. It's a different way of thinking about perfection. Today, we're focused on perfection. This means that this podcast will be absolutely flawless. Or maybe not, because that might be boring or Let's be real here. It just might be impossible. But before we get into that, let's review the highlights from last week. Last week, we talked about big presentations in big business. Our special guest, Travis Flowers, shared tips that he's learned while presenting and observing presentations in a global telecommunications company. It take too long to summarize all that we discussed. So let's just say that it covered things that will guide the preparations, and the delivery of an effective presentation. It was good stuff. That it was. And if you missed it, well, after you're done listening to this one, go back and check it out because it is full of tasty nuggets. So you'll want to check that out. We'll be right back with today's topic, and we'll teach you how to be absolutely perfect. Or not. Stick around. We'll find out together. So today we're discussing perfection in presentations, and Mike is going to show you how to achieve that ultimate perfection in just this one episode. <laughs> what? No, no. Oh, we're, we're going to give the listener permission to relax a little bit, especially oh, the listeners who are, you know, perfectionists in their approach to presentations. Today's topic is how perfection can be overrated. I'm so glad you said that. That takes a lot of pressure off me. So let's go ahead and get into it. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> our first point is that perfection can be boring. Wait, 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 wait. I mean, that seems counterintuitive. I mean, people work really hard to achieve perfection. How can the result be boring? Yeah, that it's this is a mind-blowing concept. So I'm <laughs> so glad we're digging into this. Perhaps we should acknowledge a couple of different perspectives on perfection. Perspectives on perfection. Now that sounds like a, like a business book waiting to happen. But uh, what exactly are you talking about? It seems like perfect is just perfect. So why are we messing with that? Okay, so there's two ways of looking at perfection. Okay, one way of looking at it assumes that perfection is all about a lack of mistakes and distractions, and this is one of the most common ways of looking at it. And it was my perspective for a long, long time. Okay, so that would be one. So what are the mm -hmm. what's the other perspective and the other way of of looking at and thinking about perfection? Okay. So the other way is to focus more on effectiveness than on the lack of mistakes and distractions. This was a big shift for me. Okay, okay. Interesting. So how could a lack of mistakes and distractions be a negative thing like ever? Well, okay, so we're, we're asking how could that kind of perfection ever be bad, right. right? And that's the question I wish someone would have asked me a long, long time ago. I think it would have forced me to realize a truth that I did not see till much later. 
Come on, what truth? You're killing me here, bro. You're like speaking in riddles. Come on, Obi-Wan, let's do this. Well, you know, being a good big brother, I'm going to have to stretch out the torture just a little bit more Come on. by <laughs> recalling experiences rather than just giving you an answer. You're killing so, me. <laughs> so you and I, we've sat through thousands of lectures. Conservatively. <laughs> In every way you can imagine that word. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is true. Because... Because we grew up in church, and we both attended college, both places are lecture-heavy environments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And along the way, we have dozed off dozens of times. Once again, conservatively. Conservatively. Yes. <laughs> so, to give this some, some context to our listeners, I am 12 years older than Paul. This is true. Yeah, even though he looks older than me, I'm actually 12 years. <laughs> I think the word you're looking for is more distinguished. But distinguished. Okay. okay. All right. All right. And if you're watching video of this, you just know this. That's just not true. That is an imperfect statement. I'm just making <laughs> Because it. I'm not distinguished but... <laughs> at all. <laughs> Don't think I so, didn't see you laying the groundwork for that one. <laughs> so there are many times when I'm in church as a teenager. Paul is in church as a toddler. Yes. And sometimes it was just funny to look over and see whether or not Paul was still awake. Especially, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit later on when he got tall enough to where his head would clear the top of the pew, just barely. Mm-hmm. And and I'd look over and his head would be tilted back, you know, like the, the top of the pew is like a headrest. And he is. And my mouth tends to come open when I sleep. That's worth mentioning. <laughs> he was out. I remember and, uh, specifically that happening one time. You was like, you got to go sit with mom and dad. You can't do that right beside me. <laughs> you can't be here to do that. <laughs> well, and I remember looking around at my peers when I was a, a teenager and even a, a young adult. And, you know, a lot of us were going to school full time at the local college and going to night classes, like seminary night classes. Others in my peer group were working eight-hour days and then going to night classes. Everybody was pretty tired. Right. And so it, it was pretty common to look around and see somebody doing the nod, which is where you know they're trying to sit upright to be polite, but then their head would just start going down a little bit at a time until... Till they would totally lose consciousness and it would drop for just a millisecond and wake them up and then they would jerk, <laughs> jerk awake, you know, and shake the whole pew or rattle the table or whatever, yeah. you know, as they, as they jerked awake. So I, yeah, I remember, I remember many times when people were just falling asleep when they're supposed to be listening. Right. Right. And, you know, some of the people who were speaking, you know, the people who were up front, they would probably be really frustrated to know that one of the reasons that we were able to sleep was that their perfections were too perfect. Mm -hmm. No mistakes, no distractions. Here's the key. Nothing unexpected. Right. Predictable. Yeah. And because it's predictable, it's easy to tune out. You know, it's perfect for a quick nap. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes that white noise in the background. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so yes. what you're saying is perfection can in fact be boring and 
it can put people to sleep. Yeah, I mean, and that's got to be so frustrating for speakers who spend a lot of time preparing and practicing for a perfect presentation that is going to be free of mistakes and distractions. Mm-hmm. I, I know, I know some speakers who are gifted writers with great voices, deep soothing voices mm-hmm. and, and there were times when exhausted from studying or from work i would hope that one of those guys was speaking <laughs> because it was like an audio blanket you know it just wrap you up for a nice little snooze <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can identify with that as a matter of fact if now's okay i, I want to share a story okay, about me yeah. falling asleep again because i do that uh, it sounds like I do that a lot, but I don't get nearly enough. <laughs> but a while ago, I used to do overnights at a radio station. Now, this sounds like fun. That seems like when the wild and crazy stuff was happening. But this particular shift was just to be there as a warm body in case something went wrong. Then you could call the people to fix it. That was the only reason I was there, which was fine. But it was also kind of boring because you didn't have anything you had to do. So there were times when I would be exhausted because it would be two in the morning. And so I would turn up the studio speakers so that it was a pretty good amount of loud, not overwhelming, but loud. And then I would curl up on the floor with a pillow from the from the lobby couch and I would go to sleep. <laughs> now, what would happen is I would set an alarm for like 30 minutes just to wake up, make sure everything was still working as it should be in case something that I missed would happen. And then I would reset it and go back to sleep. Well, the problem with this is my brain is so used to interpreting silence as wrong. Anytime there would be a song that has kind of a quiet intro to it, that's really shallow for a good like five seconds, it would startle me right away. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what? what? What is it? And I go over there, and as soon as I would get to the big soundboard, it'd be like, and, and it would just you know, like you know <laughs> go up to normal volume. I'm like, huh, oh. huh, okay, well I'm not going back to sleep now. <laughs> So you had that moment of panic and it was that differentiation that jerked me out of sleep because it was something different in the same way. It sounds like what you're talking about. It's like if you lack any sort of variety or anything unexpected, it just turns into a white noise machine for your brain. (laughs) Yeah. So that perfection, that predictability can work against you. So in that sense, you know, perfection in that sense is overrated, but we got to be careful not to use this realization as an excuse. Mm, yeah. We got to prepare, right? We got to practice. We do need to deliver presentations in ways that prove that we've prepared and practiced while not losing their attention in the process. Okay. So we've covered the first one. And so that's why we need that second perspective, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we need to think about perfection in a different way. That's why we need to focus on effectiveness, defining perfection by effectiveness rather than a lack of mistakes or distractions. Okay, okay. So because the predictability of this type of perfection can often tempt people to mentally check out or, or maybe even take a nap. <laughs> right, yeah. Today we're talking about thinking differently about perfection. And how many of your speeches are not going to be totally free of mistakes or distractions. And so we need to think differently about those. Now, there's one time that can be more highly stressful than others. And that's when you have to give an impromptu presentation. And that could just make your heart race and your stomach tighten up. 
There's a, an entire chapter in the book, Big Presentations in Small Rooms, that has to do with impromptu presentations. Those are the most likely to be imperfect, but these are a chance for you to strengthen your reputation in the eyes of the audience when you can speak uh, in ways that are authentic and in ways that stay focused on the topic. Even though it's not going to be perfect, it can be good if you follow the information that you can learn in the book, Big Presentations in Small Rooms. You can get it on Amazon in print form. Uh, you can get it as an ebook as well. Or if you'd rather listen to it, you can get it on Audible. We'll have the link in the show notes. Well, we're taking a quick break from the show to find out what's been going on in the uh, Workplace Presentations Hub on Facebook. Man, I'm so much enjoying being a part of this group. Uh, just this past week, we were able to offer some tips and encouragement for a specific uh, issue that one of the hub members had. And it was it was just so neat to see that information come out and be well received and, and people be able to draw from their own experiences and wisdom to help other people. So if you are a person whose work involves presentations, this is the place for you. Go to the Workplace Presentations Hub on Facebook. It's a Facebook group. Join that so you can receive the benefits of it and also be able to share what you've learned with other people. The Workplace Presentations Hub will have the link in the show notes. Our first step is to redefine perfection in terms of effectiveness. Our job is to know our audience, know our message, and make the connection. Connecting our audience to the message in ways that lead to our goal. That's it. That's it. The traditional definition of perfection is not required in order to accomplish this. And that's good news. That is good news. But wait, there's more. Right? Yes, there's more. There's more good news. And the good news is that imperfections can be branded. Yeah, I love this part. I love this truth. When you deliver a message, your personality is part of the package and you are not perfect. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's not get crazy here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Paul. I just got to I got to talk to you about something. No. <laughs> so when considering your imperfections, think about which ones could be used to your advantage, which ones could be branded so okay. so just think about think about who might fit this category okay okay so All this right. is what pops into my mind first okay comedians oftentimes can be kind of generic you know mm -hmm. oftentimes they're white guys they're in their 30s or 40s they dress in a very just kind of bland way i mean it's not anything crazy and they come up and they tell some funny jokes it's fine not a problem, but that's that's what comes to my mind when I think comedian. But there's one guy who subverts that and embraces it in a big way. No pun intended. His name is Gabriel Iglesias. Now, maybe you watch uh, Netflix a lot that he does the show Mr. Iglesias, and he is a very big Hispanic dude, and he is funny, and he embraces the fact that he is a big Hispanic dude, <laughs> and he goes by the nickname Fluffy which is how he describes how big he is. He goes, I'm not fat, I'm fluffy. <laughs> so he is that yeah, dude. Yeah. And like, if you look at his logo, it looks kind of like the Air Jordan logo, but it's an outline of a, of a Chucky dude holding a microphone instead of a basketball, and he's just jumping. And he owns this so much that this is his brand. And it's so cool because he's like comfortable in who he is, and he's just made that his brand. I mean, he could ignore it. He could tell totally funny jokes and, and not acknowledge his size at all. And it would still be a really funny guy, but it's made even more funny because 
he takes the air out of the room of people going, does he know he's big? Like, yes, I know I'm big. I'm fat and it's funny. And so we're going to talk about that. So that is the first thing that pops in my mind when I think about branding something that people could see as an imperfection. That's good. In a more serious setting, uh, there's a news podcast that I listen to quite often. And in that podcast, they often call on this one reporter who has a mild speech impediment. Okay. It's, it's noticeable, though. And I recognize him immediately and identify with him more because of it. He does a great job, and he does not let that impediment keep him from his work. And now that is part of his brand. I mean, you know when you're listening to him. Absolutely. And speaking of being able to pick somebody out, my dad and, and of course, Mike's dad. I mean, we have the same dad. That's kind of how it works. We're brothers. Um, we used to watch a lot of like older Westerns from like the 70s and the 80s. A lot of them were like funny, too. I mean, they would be comedy Westerns yeah. of a sort. But there was this one guy who would be in multiple of those from that era. And he has kind of a of an odd eye. Like it's usually looking a different direction and not at whoever he's talking to while the other one does. And so at one point, I still have yet to this day to figure out whether or not our dad was being clever or if he just wasn't thinking in that moment. But he goes, oh, look, it's that guy. The guy who always plays this is the guy with the funny eye. (laughs) And and mom and I just looked at each other and looked at him. And he said, what? And we're like, he doesn't play a guy with a funny eye. He has a funny eye. (laughs) And then he was, oh, oh, well, that would explain it. So if you guys, if you don't know who I'm talking about, this guy's name is Jack Elam. He, he passed back in, in, I think, 2003 or so. But look up a picture of him. Pause this and go look up a picture of him and see if you're not like, oh, that guy. Because you've probably yeah. seen him in something if you've watched anything from that era. Because he was in a lot of stuff. And that was like, you, you didn't ever confuse him for anybody else. That was who he was. And I actually went so far as to look up like what the deal was with that. And it turns out he had had like some sort of a fight with a fellow Boy Scout when he was a kid and, and got like stabbed in the eye with a pencil or something, oh, which is, just sounds oh. all kinds of painful. But, you know, he didn't let that stop him. He still became a very in-demand actor and was in a lot of movies. He just happened to play characters with a funny eye, I guess. <laughs> Okay, so where we're going back in the day, when I go back in the day, I think mostly audio because I grew up without a TV right, right. in the house. And really, you did too. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just, we went straight from no TV at all to the kind of the monitor and watching videos, VHS stuff. Right. Uh, so a lot of audio. We both grew up listening to a lot of audio. And so when as a kid, when I was listening to news and commentary stuff, Paul Harvey was a big part of that part of my life. And you knew when you were listening to him because he had a distinctive cadence. He said things when when he was talking, you knew it was him simply because of the way he placed emphasis on certain syllables or stretched out some syllables or or you remember him always saying, Paul Harvey, good day. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just stood out, you know? Yeah. yeah. And people don't talk like that. Right. That made his pronunciation stand out even more on a level where all you're doing is hearing him. And I think, you know, the same thing can be true in music, having imperfections in music. Yeah, for sure. And one one artist that really popped for me is uh, I was listening to to a a pretty well-known musician to Mike and I talk about this. And I think they said something like, is there some sort of plus to not producing your music to be perfect and he goes well 
Yes, there is. And if you think that you can't make popular good music that is not perfect, look no further than the band The White Stripes. He was like, not only does Jack White record in an analog way, meaning he doesn't record digitally into a computer first, he records onto like an old reel-to-reel tape machine, and then he will take it from there and then edit it on a computer. So he does that first, but also he said... Meg White, the second member of the White Stripes who plays drums, is quite possibly the worst drummer ever to play drums in a popular record. She's awful. Like, she cannot keep a beat consistent throughout a two and a half minute long song. She is dreadful, but she sells it and it works because of the way they make music. It's not trying to be perfect and it's not like it's just one little thing. I mean, it's it's consistently off but it it fits the ethos of the band and because of that it's okay and it doesn't matter and that's just the way they operate and they own that thing rather than trying to fix it because they could easily record a different drummer and her still be the drummer (laughs) you know they could have a studio musician come in and do those parts and it'd be absolutely like perfect or they could manufacture that in a computer they could make it absolutely perfect but then it wouldn't sound like the white stripes that's good. Well, and you know, I have really enjoyed reading biographies and autobiographies about musicians. Oh, yeah. So I just finished up Tom Petty. Okay. It was excellent. They had a similar struggle. Right now, I'm reading U2 by U2. Okay. Same struggle. Drums, with drums, with rhythm. Yeah. Same struggle. And uh, embracing the imperfections and figuring out how to work with the imperfections rather than using a drum machine or rather than kicking out a drummer and pulling in someone who was much better. Yeah. And obviously, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, you too, it worked. Yeah. Jack White, it works. You know, they, they were able to embrace the imperfection and make it a part of who they were rather than trying to achieve something that had no mistakes or distractions. Right, which is the reason why a lot of you know, real audio and and music fanatics prefer live albums because live albums, you don't end up with the fixes. It is a capturing of what a band sounds like in one take in a live setting, and it makes it more real. Now, of course, Mike and I are both fans of an artist named Steve Taylor, and, and, and I grew up listening to him, and now it's weird because I know Steve now, which is just it's hard to separate, you know, the childhood like, ooh, it's Steve Taylor too. Now I'm like, hey, Steve. <laughs> so it's kind of strange. But he released an, a live album that was called Liver. And of course, if you think about how that would be spelled, and when you normally see that word, you would pronounce it liver. <laughs> that was just so weird. <laughs> and it was based on that that concept. He's like, this live album is more live than your live. Mine is liver yeah. than yours. <laughs> <laughs> and in the in the liner notes, it said something like, our live album is really and truly live and more live than some sort of weird, like, re-recorded to perfection Yanni live album. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know who Yanni is, and that may not be as funny, but just take our word for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this traditional approach to perfection is overrated. Yes. Imperfections can be branded. So what else do we need to know? So we only have time for one more thought. And that is 
to be wise and adaptable. So think in terms of effectiveness and reputation. And consider this, effectiveness and reputation, consider it for both the short term and the long term. So for for example, uh, the church I attend has a well-defined mission. And as a part of that mission, they want to be a welcoming place for visitors. They want to share hope in ways that are authentic. And creating this atmosphere in public gatherings has two main components. One involves music and the other involves speaking. Now, the purpose of the music is to invite participation. So there's a level of predictability required for participation to happen. You can't sing along with something when they just keep changing the melody line. You know, <laughs> there has to be that that predictability. The purpose of the speaking is to share information and offer encouragement. The audience is not trying to predict what the next line's going to be so that, you know, they could say it along with the speaker or something. That'd be weird. It, instead, they're listening and they're trying to understand and identify with the message. So, which element needs to be more perfect in that traditional sense? Okay. So I've been to a lot of concerts. I've been to a lot of church services and I would definitely say music has to be the one more perfect in the traditional sense because mistakes and distractions, well, that, that hinders participation. And we've both seen that because yeah. oh, somebody yeah. will all of a sudden like decide they're going to go off on like a, a random vocal run and you would normally start to sing the next verse there and you're just going, well, okay, I guess I'm not part of this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then yeah, you and, just sit back in your seat and you're like, well, I guess I'm just waiting until this is over. <laughs> Unfortunately, some musicians in, in that type of setting, they're bored with what works best. Right. Which is sad. I mean, that's the way it goes. By the time you are prepared enough to present well, you're going to be bored with it. That's part right. of the process. It's, and especially when, you know, in settings like this where you may be performing a song for the 20th time. I mean, this is kind of just a normal part of the repertoire. And so it's popular. People want to hear it a lot. So you're bored with it. And because you're bored with it, you want to change it up. And sometimes the change-ups are impressive. They take a lot of talent to do, maybe a lot of practice to get that run just perfect or to break off into this guitar solo that's, that's really awesome. But participation is not happening there. Right. And if it creates too much of an atmosphere of people not being able to predict it, then they just check out. It's like, okay, I guess I'm not supposed to be in this thing. Right. I guess I'm just supposed to to watch. Oh, okay. The focus in this music setting is still on effectiveness, even though the application might be different, you know, in different settings. So we've got the music setting and the the speaking setting. Now, the speakers are not as polished or perfect as the musicians. And that's good right? because that level of perfection would come across as inauthentic and it just might put people to sleep. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so there are limits. There are limits to this idea. First, we got to be willing to ask ourselves whether a distraction is too much or even inappropriate. So, for example, some speakers are known for mispronouncing certain words. It's a slight distraction, but it could become a part of an endearing brand. Other speakers might be known for adjusting their clothing in ways that's overly distracting or even inappropriate. Now, these 
these imperfections are not going to be helpful for their reputation and they will <laughs> distract from the message. Okay, Paul, I, I know that you remember something and this is this was mostly in the church days because we'd have at the end of the service, there'd usually be some announcements that were being made and it was usually not the minister who was making the announcement. So it was someone who was not used to being up front and sometimes they'd do some imperfect things. Yeah, and they would be the things that weren't necessarily as endearing as they were just really distracting. <laughs> like, for instance, they would put their hand in their pocket, and then you could see their their brain turning, oh, there's something in my pocket. Oh, it's that change that I got from breakfast this morning. I wonder how much is in there. And then you would hear them clinking around the change in their loose-fitting slacks, and it would just... It was like they were playing jingle bells. It was just, it, it was so distracting. And I have missed so many like potlucks because I didn't hear a word that they said. <laughs> just so they're going, at least two quarters are in there. Maybe a couple of pennies, maybe a nickel or two. But man, why does he have so much change in his pocket? <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> so remember, remember, the goal is effectiveness. If imperfections hinder effectiveness, then get rid of them. But also realize that this lack of imperfections might hinder effectiveness by allowing people to more easily tune you out. Yeah. Okay. So let's think for a second. Earlier, you said that you wish you'd learned this a long time ago. Tell me Mm -hmm. more about that. I think there's a story here. (laughs) I feel it and I am here Uh. for this. All right, so I'm taking my sip of coffee here. You're stalling is what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So when I first began speaking regularly, I was focused on perfect wording and perfect articulation when speaking. And I worked hard in pursuit of that focus. This this brings to mind a, an, another like sub story here. Okay. I worked so hard on that, getting the wording and articulation right that there was this guy who was like a self-appointed mentor in my life. Okay. And he came to me and told me that my lessons would be better if they were my own and I was not stealing them from somebody else. <laughs> and I said, I'm not see I write this. Okay. But your sermons would be better if they were things that you actually developed. It's like, I, I develop them. My secretary <laughs> helps me edit and proof them, and they go through like two or three rounds. Or Okay, Mike, just hear me. Your sermons. And he did not believe that I had not bought a book and was delivering my sermons from this book. So <laughs> there was kind of a compliment hidden in there somewhere. <laughs> but my speeches would have been more interesting and more effective if I knew then what I know now. I was one of those guys who was putting people to sleep and people were more likely to say that they loved my voice than they were to say that they learned something helpful or inspiring. But I didn't connect those dots until decades later. Ah. What I've learned since that time is there are situations that call for a script. That a script would be more effective than speaking from memory or from an outline. But most of the time, that's not the case for me. Most of the time, I'll do better if I'm familiar enough with a topic to speak without a transcript and embrace the imperfections that are going to happen 
as I use this approach. It's not going to be as free from mistakes and distractions, but it is going to be better. Okay, well, that's good. So there you have it. So perfection is a concept that's worth reconsidering and perhaps maybe even redefining. Yeah, perfection can be a hindrance when it's prioritized over effectiveness. So if we think differently about it, if we redefine perfection in terms of what's most effective, then we can pursue our preparations, our practice, and delivery with that in mind. So we think, what's going to connect the audience to the message in ways that lead them to the goal? What's going to work best? Now, most of the time, a script perfectly articulated is not the perfectly effective approach. So we just got to figure it out. We got to figure out what works best and embrace the mistakes. Fix the ones that hinder the process. Work with the ones that can be branded or are effective. That's, that's what we got to do. Okay, so do these things and you'll be on the way to making big presentations in small rooms. <laughs> they won't be perfect, but they'll be good. That's right. Have you been able to use some of the things that we talked about on the show? Well, let us know about it. Give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what information you found the most useful and made your presentation better.